All right, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, as we continue in this great faith chapter. And tonight, uh, we want to look at the faith of Rahab, the faith of Rahab. Now, a number of weeks, uh, we've been looking at uh, individuals that God honors for their great faith. We've seen in uh, 15 verses here in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning uh, with the words, by faith. And if we count the words by it, meaning by faith, in verse 2, we actually have 16 verses. Uh, Four other verses have begun with the phrase, through faith. And in another verse, we find the phrase in the middle of the verse. And there, uh, these are uh, no doubt the great verses of Scripture about great people of God. And yet, none is so amazing, really, as our text here this evening. Uh, Isn't it amazing? Isn't it incredible that even uh, we could say wonderful uh, that we find in this list of great people of faith a harlot, a prostitute, What? Yes. By faith, it says, the harlot. Rahab was a harlot, a woman of the streets, a prostitute. Now, as we look at the faith of Rahab, I want us to notice two biblical propositions that we need to keep in mind. uh, And that is the uh, hate and love. Uh, First of all, God hates sin. God hates sin. When he gave the Ten Commandments, one of them was very simple, very blunt. And uh, he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Never under no circumstances ever should this ever be done. Did I get that right? (laughs) Never under no circumstances ever, never should this ever be done. Is that enough evers and nevers? But uh, uh, it's of vital importance uh, to God that lives of His creatures are pure. In fact, He listed adultery immediately after murder in the list of Ten Commandments and just prior to stealing. Now, as an indication of His hatred for the sin of adultery, God insisted that death be its punishment for those who committed it in the Old Testament. He said in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress should surely be put to death. Both of them. So here's a crime for which there was no mercy. This death penalty... For adultery was not carried over into the New Testament, but that did not lessen uh, God's hatred for it. And all the way through the New Testament, this command is emphasized again and again. God is against murder. God is against drunkenness and cruelty and blasphemy and stealing from others. God is also against adultery, and by the way, God is against divorce. Now, some preachers and Bible teachers will try to tell you that, well, it's okay to get a divorce if your spouse has committed adultery. Don't believe it. I submit to you that that is an incorrect interpretation of Scripture. 
One of the principles of interpretation is the principle of context. Surprise, surprise, right? Did I would say that? <laughs> context. And more specifically, in the case of historical context. When you read Matthew chapter 19, where you have some who say it permits divorce because of adultery, you must realize the historical context of what is being said. Now, it's not my intention tonight to cover this subject in detail, but the Lord was speaking of the espousal or engagement period in the relationship when he gave this so-called exception. And the point is here that God hates sin. Well, if God hates adultery, then how can we explain our text here tonight when it speaks of the faith of a harlot, the professional adulteress, if you please, a prostitute by the name of Rahab? And our second proposition provides the answer. God loves the sinner. God loves the sinner. No sinner has sunk too low for him to love and to honor to offer to save. Some admittedly, you and I might turn our backs upon in revulsion and disgust, but say, I don't want any part of those people. But God doesn't turn his back upon them. Rahab could be considered among the lowest of the low. She was an adulteress by profession. Rahab was not come not some innocent girl who slipped once with her boyfriend or who had been seduced by uh, in her innocence by an older, experienced, evil reprobate. No, this was her business. It was her livelihood, something that she did willfully and deliberately. She should have rightly perished to express it as our text does. She wasn't just a hostess or an innkeeper. She was a wicked, vile prostitute. But thank God, even a harlot can find mercy and forgiveness when they put their faith in him. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be wool. What a Savior we have. The Apostle Paul experienced the same greatness of grace. You say, Paul wasn't a harlot or a prostitute. No, but he was a wicked man. He was a killer a murderer, a persecutor of Christians. And he testified in 1 Timothy before his conversion, he had been a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, guilty of sin against God, against man, and against himself. But he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he also triumphantly declared this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So there is hope for the hopeless in Lord Jesus Christ. He knows no impossible cases. Now let's look at Rahab in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31. Hebrews 
It says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. We're going to look at Rahab and the wonderfulness of faith. God would extend His grace, the wonderful grace of Jesus. Sing that song sometimes, a wonderful song. I think of that song even now as I think of it, I think of my own father. It's his favorite hymn, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. We sang it at his funeral in 1995, where I had the privilege of preaching, giving forth the word of God, because that's what he would want. It's what he wanted. The wonderfulness of faith. So notice, notice first of all, in this wonderfulness of faith, the scope of her faith. Since there is no such thing, biblically speaking, as blind faith, Rahab had to have a secure foundation. And by looking at some key passages in the Old Testament, we learn there are three broad areas of her faith. Notice, first of all, as we turn back to the book of Joshua, again, because that's where we find the story of Rahab. And we find in Joshua Uh, Chapter 2 and verse 9. This is where, uh, as what she told the two unidentified spies when they came to her house on the top of the uh, Jericho wall. Uh, Joshua 2 and verse 9. Notice it there. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. In actuality, she believed the promise that had been given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the same guarantee had been repeated to Joshua only days before. You go back to chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, and thou and all this people unto the land which I do give them. To the children of Israel, every place that the, that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and from this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. While she may not have been aware of the latest renewal to Joshua, all the nations round about had heard about Jehovah, and of his leading the children out of the land of Egypt through a miracle after miracle, and his guarantee to them that the land of Canaan would one day be their own possession. She believed it. After all, there is no faith apart from the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen tells us. In Rahab's case, her faith was positive. She had no doubt about it at all. She said, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. God's word is positive assurance to any sinner or to any saint for that matter. God's word is unshakable. It's unbreakable. It can be trusted as we just sang. Trust the word. It can be trusted explicitly. It can be trusted completely. It can be trusted in its entirety. Faith in the Word of God. Secondly, we see faith in the power of God. 
Now, the two verses that immediately follow her statement of faith in the Word of God, chapter 2, verse 10, And we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that, there, uh, that were on the other side of the Jordan, Zihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God is a God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She accepted the record about his feats as facts. Unlike some of the starched shirt unbelieving clergymen in this day and age, she, a harlot, didn't try to explain them away. She believed that the parting, uh, uh, the parting and the crossing of the Red Sea happened just as it was recorded in the book of Moses, books of Moses. Rahab didn't fall for some phony baloney about the Red Sea being the Reed Sea and that spot where the Jews crossed the water was only ankle deep. Think about it. Even if that were true, then that would have been even a greater miracle that would have taken place when Pharaoh and his mighty army would drown in ankle-deep water. Perhaps more to the point, Rahab believed the record of what Jehovah, their God, had done for them against the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan, whom they had utterly destroyed. Here was an omnipotent God before whom such mere mortals as the inhabitants of Jericho could never stand. And even more precisely, she acknowledged him as the Lord, adding that he is God in heaven and in the earth beneath. You know, for a pagan, heathen, idolatrous prostitute of Jericho, that was really something. Yet even more to the point, she had faith in his power to save a wicked sinner as herself. So you have faith in the word, faith in the power of God, and thirdly, faith in the mercy of God. Now, when God's representatives assured her that she could be saved, would be saved through the scarlet cord in her window, as would all of her family if they too would believe. The Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 21. Notice it says, And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. She not only believed in God's power that it could save her, but in his mercy as well. She threw herself upon the compassionate, condescending uh, of God, knowing that she had nothing in herself worthy of merit before him, just as did the publican who met Christ over in the book of Luke. And after the Pharisee had assured the Lord how righteous and worthy he was, Jesus said, and the publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Bible salvation thanks to the grace and the mercy of God, is something publicans like this man and harlots like Rahab can get it on with. 
In fact, Jesus startled the self-righteous Pharisees of his day by saying, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. He said that in Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. You know what the difference was? Faith. Faith. Does this mean wickedness is somehow preferred over morality? No, not at all. It's merely that it's easier for the vile to recognize their hopelessness and throw themselves upon the compassion, uh, compassionate mercy and grace of God, while those who consider themselves to be high-minded and ethical and, uh, and moral are tempted to trust their own excellency. Trusting your own goodness will never and has never worked. Sinners today, of course, are saved the same way Rahab was saved 2,500 or so years ago, by grace through faith. She had faith in God's word. She had faith in his power to save her from the guttermost to the uttermost and faith in his mercy to do it for her. So that's the scope of her faith. Now, notice, secondly, the evidence of her faith. The evidence of her faith. This is seen at least two ways in the Old Testament record. First of all, in her action. Notice, first of all, she defiled her king in treatment of these men. Let's go back to chapter 2 and verse 2. And it says, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither to night of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And when it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out, whether the men went, I wot not, pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and she hid them up with the stalks of flax, which she had told, uh, which had laid in order up upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan under the fords. And as soon as they were pursued after them, they were gone out, they shut the gate. Instead of obeying the king, she was like Moses' parents, not afraid of the king's commandment, and like Moses himself, not fearing the wrath of the king, as we saw there back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. So she took the man and she hid them, said she didn't know where they were and that they had departed. In other words, she lied about it. Is it all right to do wrong in order to do right? No. And let me be quick to say that. No, it's not. Her lying was not commendable. In fact, it is a weak spot in her faith and in her testimony. God does not approve of lying. God does not need lies to accomplish his, his purposes. He could have preserved both of these spies in Rahab's house if she had just told the truth. Positive proof that God doesn't need lying to preserve his program or his people is seen in the action of Jacob and his sons in Genesis 46 and 47. When they were about to meet Pharaoh and they needed his favor to obtain choice land in Egypt, Joseph, in a moment of weakness, instructed them to say that they were cattlemen when the king asked for their occupation. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. And the men refused to lie. 
However, responding to Pharaoh's inquiry as to their occupation, with thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. Adding that they had come to Egypt to practice their trade. Did did, uh, Pharaoh forbid them to do so? Did he imprison them? Did he order them to leave the country? Or did he speak harshly to them? Again, no. He replied, the land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land make thy father and brethren to dwell. Instead of anger and judgment, the king responded with mercy and favor. After all, does not the Bible tell us the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord? As the rivers of water, he turneth it so whithersoever he will. And so it was not necessary for Rahab to lie. Perhaps we should note in Rahab's defense, she was a brand new convert. She was a babe in the faith. Lying had probably been a way in her life, a way of life for her up until that moment. The point is, she fearlessly stood up to the powerful king. She defied his commandment. And it's good evidence of a sinner's faith when she begins to defy his lifelong king, Beelzebub, better known as Satan. Having jumped every time Satan said so in the past and asking how high and which direction, now she courageously stands up to him, she defies him, and she rebukes him. Rahab's works were proof of the reality of her faith. James expresses it well in James chapter 2 and verse 25. says, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? Is it not true faith if it refuses to act? I read of a young girl who always recited her lessons in class perfectly. When one of the boys asked her her secret, she told them she always prayed that the Lord would help her. That sounded easy to him, and so he promised to pray about his lessons as well. The next day, she began to recite flawlessly, and when the teacher called upon the boy, he couldn't give even the first word. Afterward, he went to the girl and reproachfully told her that her plan was worthless. He had tried it. It didn't work. Little girl wisely responded, perhaps you made no effort to learn the lesson. Learn it? I didn't even try to learn it. I didn't think it was necessary if I prayed. You know, in the same way, spiritual faith without works is dead, James tells us. And such action is presumptuous. It's not faith. Rahab's faith was seen not only in her defiance to the king, but the fact that she cut off her former association, her former connections, a matter indicated by by remaining in the house. I think this is important for one intending a new life in Christ. The clear instruction for a new convert is described by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 through chapter 7 and verse 1, but it's summed up simply, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. D.L. Moody used to tell of two men in his day that after a night of boozing and carousing went down to the river and got into their boat to head home. They rowed out uh, hard for hours, taking turns uh, when the other got tired and they couldn't imagine why they weren't reaching the distant shore. When daylight came, they discovered they were still at the departure dock, having failed to loose the mooring line or lift the anchor. 
You know, a lot of new believers, unfortunately, are like that. They are still tied to this world's dock. And no wonder they're defeated. No wonder they're failing to progress in the Christian life. All their efforts to grow spiritually, no matter how hard they try to row, are thwarted because of those ties to the world. And sadly, there are some Christians who've never, uh, who, who have been saved for many years and haven't cut the ties with the world. It's no wonder they continue to struggle in their Christian lives. They fail to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, does that describe your life this evening? Remember Moses back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And we see the evidence of Rahab's faith in her action. We also see evidence in her obedience. God's messengers explained to her in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 18 through 19. Notice it there in Joshua 2, 18, if you've got your place there, but follow along as I read. Behold, when we are we come to the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by, and thou, thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee, and it shall be what whosoever shall that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street his blood shall be upon his head and we will be guiltless and whosoever shall be with thee in the house his blood shall be on our head if any hand be upon him and if thou utter this business then we will be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us to swear now that was certainly clear enough wasn't it And the instruction, you notice, covered three areas. First, the scarlet cord. They were to use the exact same scarlet cord by which she had lowered the spies down from the wall to safety. It was one that was tried and true. One proven to have God's blessing. And the crimson cord, of course, is a wonderful picture. It's a picture of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. There is no salvation, no safety for anyone, Gentile or Jew, apart from that. As we saw earlier, most, almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Back in Hebrews chapter 9, as Jesus said of the communion cup in Matthew twenty six twenty eight, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many by the remission of sins. 1 John 1, 7 says, And the blood of Jesus Christ, is, uh, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, her obedience also involved her remaining in the house. They were not even to step out on the street or to go for a walk on the wall. Rahab's safety and the safety of others in her household depended on being housed behind the scarlet cord. That's, there's absolutely no safety, no security anywhere else. And then obedience depended upon silence. 
She was warned specifically there in verse 20. And so Rahab's obedience began immediately. Look at verse 21. And she said, according unto your word, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. She didn't wait to do it later. Oh, I'll get around to it eventually. When she had more time. No, she took instant action. It's not surprising in the light of her, the scope of her faith and the evidence of her faith that we also see, thirdly, the reward of her faith. The reward of her faith. Faith never goes unnoticed by God. It never goes unrewarded. The story of Rahab the harlot is no exception to the heavenly rule, of course. How was her faith rewarded? Well, our story moves on to Joshua chapter 6 and the divine account of Jericho's conquest by the children of Israel. And you notice, first of all, uh, deliverance at the fall of Jericho. This was the way it was, uh, one of the ways her faith was rewarded. Uh, The account reveals what happened to the walls and how they fell flat and the Israelites took the city. Look at chapter 6, verse 21. It says there, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass, with the edge of the sword. And Joshua said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had, and they... Uh, they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp in Israel. You see, Rahab was spared the condemnation, the judgment that Jericho uh, and its pagans experienced. Now, doesn't that remind you of Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 concerning those today who trusted in Christ? Romans 8, 1, perhaps you've memorized it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So we notice her faith was rewarded in the deliverance of the, at the fall of Jericho, but secondly, at the deliverance of her family. We saw there in verse 23, and this is what we uh, would sometimes call household salvation. Not only was she saved, but so were all her loved ones. Now, they weren't saved because she was saved, and yet they were saved Because she believed, they believed. Reminds me of Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, when Paul and Silas were explaining to the Philippian jailer how to be saved. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. That's what God desires for every household. An unbroken family circle. Will the circle be unbroken in heaven for your family? You know, it's important to note that her family was not saved, again, by her faith, as I already said, but by their own faith. No one can believe for someone else, regardless of the rituals or the christenings or the baptisms or such like. If her father and mother and brethren had not dwelled in the safety of the house protected by the scarlet cord, they too would have perished. That was very clear from the original instructions back there in in chapter 2, verse 19 of Joshua. It's the same thing in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Whoever believes will be saved, and if members of that believer's family do the same, they too will be saved. It was not only true for Rahab's family and the jailer's family, but it can be true for your family. 
Oh, that when we see families saved, parents and children and grandchildren and those that come along in following generations, and we need to pray to that end. We need to trust God to see our children and their children and their children come to know the Lord as their Savior. Oh, it's something we pray about all the time. Every day, as a matter of fact. But we must believe God, and they must believe God, and obey the instructions for deliverance. Not only was she delivered, and her family was delivered, but she also enjoyed deliverance of all that she had. Nothing was lost. Again, we see that in verse 23. God did a thorough job for her. But then, you know what? God always does a thorough job, doesn't he? In this passage, all that she had is mentioned twice. And I think it's for emphasis. In verse 23, it says, And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. Oh, excuse me, I, just before that it says, And all that she had. And then verse 25, And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. There it is again. Reminds us of what Moses told Pharaoh about the Israelites leaving Egypt in Exodus chapter 10, verse 9 and verse 26. And Moses said, we will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters and with our flocks and with our herds. Will we go? For we must hold a feast unto the Lord. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come hither. You see, just as the Israelites needed their possessions to worship, to sacrifice, to serve God, so Rahab needed hers. And God let her take them. I want you to notice one more reward for uh, Rahab's faith, and that was the possession of the land. Not only deliverance from the fall of Jericho, not only for her family, but all that she had and possession of the land. Again, look at verse 25. We read part of it already. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive, her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because... She hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Eventually, having made Israel's God her God, she married a Jewish man by the name of Salmon. And some say he was probably one of the two spies. I don't know that for sure. Perhaps that is, but it could be incidental. The important thing is that Salmon was in the Messianic line. Now you'll read about that in, you'll also read about Rahab in the Lord's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 4, 4 it says, And Aram begat Abinadab, and Abinadab begat Naasan, and Naasan begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, or Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of Hur, that had been the wife of Urias. And again, there in that passage, the New Testament word, the Greek spelling of the word Rahab is Rahab. Rahab, just as Boaz uh, is the Greek spelling of Boaz, And isn't it interesting, here's the Messianic line, practically back to back, three or four generations of three 
tainted women. One was a harlot. One was a non-Jewish pagan, a despised Moabite. And the third was an adulteress who cheated on her faithful, devoted, absent soldier husband. Now you tell me the mercy and grace of God isn't great. There are no impossible cases with him. And you might think, well, there's somebody I know. He's, they're impossible. God's never going to save them. They're too wicked. Nobody's too wicked to be saved. God saved Rahab the harlot. God forgives and he forgets. The God of the Old Testament promised in Isaiah 43 and verse 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. And the God of the New Testament offers the same assurance. Hebrews 10 and verse 17, Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And so if Rahab could be saved, and she certainly was, then there are obviously no impossible cases. We must remember that God never saves anyone in his or her sins, but from those sins. Old things pass away, all things become new. His grace can take a harlot like Rahab and make her pure, place her in the messianic line, and make her an ancestor of our Lord's humanity. That is wonderful. That is marvelous. You see the wonderfulness of her faith. And the wonderfulness of Rahab's faith is because of the wonderfulness of Jesus Christ. That is truly the wonderful grace of Jesus and his amazing grace. He can do it for you and he can do it for any of your loved ones as well. We've looked, again, at a number of people. We've seen Abel, the way of faith, Enoch, the walk of faith, Noah, the witness of faith, Abraham, the worship of faith, Isaac, the willingness of faith, Jacob, the work of faith, Joseph, the wonder of faith, Moses, the worthiness of faith, Joshua, the watch of faith, and now Rahab, the wonderfulness of faith. What a chapter. What a blessing that is, and I trust it is a blessing to you. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that no one can sin too much to not be saved if they're ready and willing to believe and to receive the gift of salvation that you have offered. And so, Lord, we pray tonight, if there is someone here that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, that they would do so. Maybe there's a young person here, child or teenager or someone who's saying, well, my mom and dad are saved, but that's good enough for me. No, each one of us have to come to that point. And we pray, Lord, if there's someone here tonight that has never come to that point in their life when they put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus tonight would be the night they do that. They would seek someone out to take the Bible and help them to understand just what this means. Or perhaps they would go home and they would ask their parents to help them to understand what it means to be saved. What a rejoicing that would be.
to see our children, our grandchildren come to know the Lord. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that even in Spooner, Wisconsin, in this Northwoods area, there are some wicked people, but there's no one too wicked for you not to save. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be faithful, to give forth the word of God, to pass out some tracts, to give out uh, an invitation to receive Christ. And Lord, we pray for the salvation of souls in our county, in our country, and through the missionaries that we support. We just pray, Lord, that we'll see people saved in these days. We'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.